Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey everyone, got an awesome episode today. My friend Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball of Forum Bloom Gold, Nylon Calculus, uh, does analytics and scouting, take charge podcasts, a whole bunch of NBA stuff. Um, he Before he gets on the podcast to talk Lakers whole offseason and where, where it goes from here and some interesting summer league stuff, I just want to do some quick housekeeping. So Please, if you're listening to this for the first time or if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Strictly Hip Hop and Strictly Hoop Talk podcast feed, which is on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. And uh, please, if you're if you're on Apple, please rate five stars, leave a review. That helps the show grow. And feel free to follow me on all the social medias. That's the best way to stay in touch and up to date with what's coming with the podcast. And my social media handle is the same across all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, just at Real Chris Patty. So be sure to follow there. Without a further ado, let's get into the show. Hi, everyone. This is Teresa Heal here. I just want to talk to you about Essential Oil's career. Young Living has a great career opportunity for you guys. I know that you're just finishing up with school and you have the summers off. So if you're interested in making unlimited amount of money, in selling or sharing and teaching classes on Young Living Essential Oils, I want you to contact me, Teresa Heal, at Comcast.net. It's easy peasy, so go ahead and contact me. All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host Chris Platty, and returning to the podcast is for the first time in a while is my guy Cranjus McBasketball, aka Tim. Uh, works for works for Analytics and Scouting. Does words at uh, for, Forum Blue Gold, Nylon Calculus. One of the best analytic follows on Twitter for basketball. Does great work for the Los Angeles Lakers. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? It's it's been a long time uh, since I've been on. Since that time, both had a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, we both dominated that 2K league I put together. Oh yeah. Um, although absolutely. we never actually played each other. That's the one thing we never played each other. We were both like 15 and one or something. Um, but that <laughs> kind of fell apart. Yeah, the league the league kind of fell apart. It was it was it was the it was the matchup to never be. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day, one, one the, day, the, one the day, Giants one day. will meet. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, man. I'm happy to be here though. Thanks for having me. Oh no, no problem, man. I'm big fan of what you do here. So let's kind of jump into it. So you're the, you're the guy I really want to go to about the Lakers. So obviously the Lakers have had a crazy offseason. They signed LeBron. So first off, um, let's just kind of get into that. So coming into it, um, coming into free agency and everything, there was of course a lot of strong consideration that LeBron would go there. But I was one that never. I, I, I thought he was for sure leaving Cleveland, and I, I was kind of choosing L.A. by default, but I just never got it because of, I, I, I know I get all the other, like, the, the off-the-court decisions that factored into this decision with the Lakers, right? But with me, it's always 
I, I've always seen LeBron as so much a, as a guy who wouldn't want to quote-unquote waste any years or go to a situation that's not ready to compete and win. So that's what shocked me about this decision. Were you shocked by the LeBron decision or no, not really? So I was shocked when I heard about it. I wasn't shocked when it was announced because I had people in from L.A., with like entertainment stuff like DMing me and telling me like he's coming like this is happening like right. weeks ahead of time um, and like it wasn't enough people or like properly sourced enough that I would tell anybody about that mm-hmm. but like the rumors were always there um, yeah. even like a month ago yeah. so I wasn't shocked it makes a lot of sense what is shocking to me is the specific deal he signed the three plus one because right. that the the approach he's taking like think about everywhere else he's gone he's gone there. He's had deals like a one plus one where if you don't do what he wants you to do, he's gone. Um, so he has so much power going into that situation. And when he went to Miami, like literally you saw, oh, not one, not two, not three. When he goes to the Cavs, it's we're going to like I'm coming back to win a title. He hasn't really been vocal about, hey, I'm going to L.A. We're going to win a ton of titles. That mm-hmm. seems to have changed. The priorities to him, he's talked about like I want my family to be happy it makes sense that he, he knows he wants to get into the entertainment business and he's going to the entertainment capital of the world. Um, right. And it makes a lot of sense for him from a person, uh, from like a, a lifestyle place. Um, it makes sense on the court too. It's not the best team. It may take some time to turn this team into a competitor. Adding LeBron certainly is a gigantic step towards that. Um, but the deal he signed, the three plus one, allows the Lakers to be patient. And we've heard that he told them, hey, you don't have to throw all of the young guys at San Antonio to get Kawhi, which I think is really huge for the Lakers because they probably would have done it. If they knew yeah. they needed to trade everybody to get LeBron and Kawhi, they probably would have done it. But the fact that he's being patient about it allows them to literally keep like four or five assets that are really useful, cost-controlled, appreciating talent, um, appreciating in the sense that like they're getting better and these mm-hmm. guys are going to be good in a couple of years. They may, they may not be great right now. And... I mean, I'm a Laker fan, but I'm I try to be as real as anybody. They're not the best group of guys out there, but they're getting better. And LeBron obviously sees that, and it's really cool to have him value our young core as much as us as Laker fans like to. Um, and we're going to go into next off season if we don't trade for Kawhi now or sometime during this year. We're going to go into next off season with full space to get another max guy, and then we have LA, the place we have LeBron the superstar and we have this young core that's getting better so i'm really happy with it i think it means great things about this team's future and the buy-in that lebron's had into allowing it to take time and progress the right way means so much i agree man that's the that's to me the biggest thing as well is the signing uh of the three plus one showing the showing the commitment to the to the franchise and and the fact that he is patient he is willing and, and you know you're right you got a lot of very interesting very good prospects you know none of none of them might be right now blue chippers but I think Brandon Ingram has a real shot at becoming a blue chip trade asset I think Lonzo has an outside shot at becoming a blue chip and you know one of the and by blue chip you know that means like basically one of the best trade chips you can get in in the NBA one of the best assets so you know, it, it kind of is, is the reverse of, of the Melo situation from going from Denver to New York, right? Where Melo, we saw we saw how that played out, where Melo forced his way in so that he could get the extension to get more money. Um, but it really sacrificed a lot of assets that they could have then kept 
signed Mel in whatever it was, like six months, and then essentially and then essentially um, trade those assets and use that to build, flip into another star. And so, yeah, the Lakers are in a really good position. I would be shocked if if Kawhi ends up there now before training camp. We can kind of get into that in a moment if you'd like. But, um, you know, the real the real thing that, that you spoke on um, about the, the pressure to get a star and the fact that the Lakers probably would have done that if LeBron James, if those were LeBron James's terms and conditions. Um, that was another thing that gave me pause too, right, was immediately Paul George re-upping with OKC on July 1st. Like, that was the one thing where... I, I gave OKC a shot, but I wasn't entirely convinced that um, I definitely was putting the Lakers as the forego- as the favorite or the foregone conclusion, right? Um, so I was I was really shocked that Paul George didn't sign uh, didn't sign with LA, and so that kind of gave me pause about LeBron. So it was a it was overall it was I I'd say I'd say I was pretty shocked with LeBron going there, and I think you're right. The biggest thing is the long term commitment. LeBron seems to have um, the long-term view in mind, and um, and I think that that's going to set the Lakers up to very well in the next you know couple of years because all of a sudden, like you said, you're LA and you got LeBron. That's the that there's no other pitch needed, right? Yeah, exactly. And the two goals that Magic Johnson put forth just I think literally like a week ago, he said we want to get two superstars in the next two summers, and if we don't, I'll step down. And the other thing he said, or I think Rob Polinka actually said it, is we want to build a sustainable team, and we want to follow a sustainable model. And they've gotten halfway there with the first goal. You can probably even argue more than halfway because the, the odds of getting the first person to sign on, is it's, it's tough. Yeah. But having LeBron already makes it almost a shoe in that we're going to get somebody next offseason. Right, and, especially and with this, the number of, of, of all-stars that are available next summer as well. Exactly, yeah. There's, there's quite a crop of guys, and somebody's going to want to go play with LeBron in L.A. with this young core. And the, the second goal of that sustainable success is the fact that we were able to keep the young core through all of this. We didn't have to trade guys away for veterans or LeBron's friends or Kemba Walker, somebody, we didn't have to trade them away in order to get rid of Luol Deng. If LeBron's here and somebody else comes and it doesn't work out, we still have these young guys who are like, literally they're like 21 years old, 22 years old. And the team can be good five or six years from now with them being some of the major pieces, even if LeBron ends up leaving after three years. So they've accomplished or are on track to accomplish all of their goals so far. LA is immediately rev- relevant again. They, they were going to get the number of uh, national games on TV anyway, but now at least they'll be good. Um, and I don't know. If I were a Cavs fan, I'd be pissed. Because not, not just that LeBron left, but the way he's buying into the patience with LA is something he never afforded them. And it's left them, not in shambles, but if you look at the Cavs roster right now and the assets they have, it's not a great situation. And they really milked everything they could to pour everything into winning now. And now yeah. they're not in great shape, and they're going to have to rebuild for a little while. Whereas with the Lakers, LeBron is treating them differently than he treated the Cavs. And because of that, that sustainability is much more possible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, something something you you brought up about that just really um, just really interests me in the, in the whole the, – it's just, it's just the commitment in general, again, is very – is to me the strongest point and um so so i want to kind of go with um 
with looking for it and you know what magic talked about you know getting that second superstar in the offseason everything um one of the things that i think the lakers are doing is they're also i i think they're really learning from boston's blueprint right where boston has a situation where they have they have hayward and kyrie and al horford right but they also have jalen brown jason tatum these incredibly talented young players on rookie scale contracts which does huge things for uh for that team you know it's really um it it really you're getting so much uh production and value for for such uh for such low money which is which is extremely important so one of the things that i would like to see moving forward for for the lakers is for them to try to find a way to keep as many of those uh, of those young guys as possible um but i wanted to get into this so um, so they so they went through. They signed a lot of players to one year deals. Obviously, keeping with the with the intent to keep uh, with the intent to keep the 2019 cap sheet as open as possible. Um, so they signed KCP to a one year 12 million dollar deal. They signed they re, they signed Rondo. They signed Javale McGee. They signed Lance Stevenson. Um, who else am I missing here? Uh. What is it? It's McGee, Stevenson, Rondo, and KCP, and that's okay. it. And LeBron. Okay, that's it so far. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's what I thought. So, so yeah, so they, so they're at the salary cap or slightly over it right now. I'm, I'm checking to kind of verify their their payroll numbers right they now. They have about uh, five million left, and okay. right now they're in a position where they will probably be patient about filling out the rest of that because right now they're in a spot where if they traded for Kawhi, they'd be able to do it by just stretching Luol Dang, mm-hmm. um, and they wouldn't have to match salaries because they like they can't really match salaries and they can't trade the guys they signed yet until like December. Um, so keeping that cap space, at least for right now, until they give up on trading for Kawhi in the preseason um, is somewhat important, so I don't expect them to fill out that remaining couple million. But yeah, I think we have about like five million left in cap space. Yeah. And as a Piston fan, I would definitely advise against stretching. We're still paying Josh Smith <laughs> like for another two years. Um, I was actually just talking about that on a I was on a Pistons podcast uh, earlier this week that I think that I think is will be dropping at this time either tonight or tomorrow. Um, and one of the things we talked about was just the contracts from the 2016. We were talking about John Luer and and that big contract and how how in one year those those contracts become so much more valuable to trade so what i was talking about is um with law dang it's the, the situation where i would if i was lakers i would try to hold that contract till next july um unless you can get it off without giving up any assets right now then you of course do it 10 times out of 10 but um but then if you if you wait till literally this time a year from now it's then essentially an expiring contract and we know a lot of teams are going to have cap space next summer, but some teams are going to miss out, right? And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, that contract becomes valuable because because then it's basically a golden ticket to to um, to a shot at next summer's free agency where there's not a lot of money. Yep. Yeah. So. Exactly. And in a similar but not as expensive way, that's what the Lakers have been able to do by signing Rondo, KCP, and Stevenson. They have a twelve million, a five million and a $9 million that they can trade during the season and try to acquire some assets if they go that route. They may not. Um, the fact that they'll try to be contending or make the playoffs get past the first round means that they're less likely to trade those guys. But if they want to, 
that's available this year. And just like you said, next year, if they want to trade Dang, it's a much more movable contract that could help another team if they, they want to grab onto that salary and then be a player in the ensuing offseason. Yeah, where not a lot of teams will have as much cap space um, as, as the upcoming summer, a year from now. So, yep. so yeah, that, that's a very interesting thing. So one of the things I want to get into, and this is something that um, I first off, I want to get into two things here. So um, I'll kind of let you take, take the floor, which with whatever direction you'll get to, and then we'll get to the other. Um, so there, there's two really interesting things that stand out to me about this is one, okay, how do all these players play together? Because LeBron is getting with a bunch of playmakers, which is something that LeBron greatly values. We've always, you know, we've heard him talk about the last couple years. We really need more playmakers, and we really saw how much it hurt last year when Kyrie left, just the just the the lack of playmaking that he had. So that he's getting playmakers, but he's not necessarily getting, um, he's not necessarily getting shooters, which is normally what helps him the most. And so he's getting he's getting players that on one hand help him, but one hand don't exactly fit what he's doing or what or what bets or what best suits playing with LeBron. So that really strikes me as interesting. So um so I, I so that's one thing that stands out to me. And two is the idea of a bunch of guys playing on one year contracts is always kind of tough on a locker room, right? Where you're where you're a bunch of guys that are just their 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 eyes are on the next payday. You know, rightfully mm-hmm. so, to take care. So, so it's always interesting to see how those will, how the, how those kind of factors will play into it. So, I'll kind of let you um, take it whichever way you want first. But those are the two things that really stand out to me about this Lakers team this upcoming season. No, those are those are really good points. I'll start with the second one first. The one year deals thing. It's not just that they're one year deals. It's that each of the guys that they're signing are like very passionate, arrogant. Like SOBs that want to be playing. Rajon Rondo has already said he wants to be starting over Lonzo, and these aren't guys that are just going to give up. They are, and they have to understand that the organization ultimately wants to phase each of them out because they have the young assets who they want to be the face of the future. Mm-hmm. So if if midseason Rajon Rondo starting and Lance Stevenson is playing at all, um, and JaVale McGee is playing real minutes. Uh, that like something's gone wrong and that's not what Laker fans want to see um, and at the same time if things do go well for the Lakers each of these guys by midseason the late late of the season Stevenson probably won't be playing at all ideally Rajon Rondo he'll be playing but he won't be starting and Lonzo will be getting starter minutes and McGee hopefully the team like resigns Brooke Lopez or something because um, JaVale McGee isn't he's in a great center um, and he, he's already really cheap anyway, so it's not like he's losing a ton of value. Um, but I think R- uh, Rondo and Stevenson will be feeling that kind of crunch. Um, KCP, I, I see them playing plenty. He played with the team last year. They know how to use him. He can shoot. So he's yeah. fine. But the other two, Stevenson and Rondo, like you said, they don't really fit with that. They, they're not shooters. They, they're both playmakers, but neither of them are good shooters. Um, and I can see some clashing of heads in the locker room potentially. Although that's something that... Luke Walton had to deal with last year just from the one-year standpoint of having Julius Randle playing for a contract, Jordan Clarkson playing, um, I think he, oh no, I, he's not a agent yet, no, no, never mind. But uh, you also had Larry Isaiah Nance. Thomas, too, who you acquired at the trade deadline as well, playing for a contract. Yep, yeah, we had a couple of those kinds of guys, KCP was another one of them, mm-hmm. um, and there, I never heard a peep of issues 
other than them giving Randall really weird minutes, which was very much on the coaching staff. Yeah. Um, but they've handled that well. Luke is a player's coach. So hopefully that helps. Um, and we've got LeBron. So hopefully that'll be able to mitigate potential uh, distractions or issues in the locker room. Um, but at the same time, having these kinds of guys, those kinds of mindsets could potentially be an, be an asset because then you're taking these young players who the past couple of years, they're able to develop at their own pace. The team's not winning. They don't have to worry about winning now. It's not about the playoffs. It's about getting better every day. Now, like, the clock is, is different. The clock has started. You have to show up and play well. Um, LeBron's not there for Lonzo Ball to learn how to play at point guard. Um, he's not there to be patient with Kyle Kuzma's defensive awareness mistakes. These guys are going to have to pick it up. And the fact that they're every day at practice, they're going against Rondo and Stevenson is something that should help push them to be better. Um, to your other point, <laughs> yeah, these guys aren't great shooters. Um, I have some stats I'll throw out. So there are – so NBA.com tracks the uh, – I guess it's from Second Spectrum. They track how open players are on their threes, and the four categories are very tight, tight, open, or wide open. And from those, we're able to uh, – Mike Zavag, Zavagno, I think is how you say his last name. Um, he writes for Fear the Sword. He put together the shot quality metric that shows – Compared to all players, how open are the shots like Rajon Rondo's taking from three? And it turns out that he's better, like his, the, the threes he's taking are more open than 94% of the league. And the threes Lance Stevenson is taking are more open than 76% of the league. Whereas like LeBron's threes are harder than 80% of the league. KCP's were harder than 67%. The rest of the Laker guys on the roster were taking harder shots, except for Josh Hart. Um, but these two guys were bringing in, Lance and Rondo, they shoot, like, Rondo shot okay from three, but the fact that is he's been wide, wide open on so many of them that when you compare to the expectation for, like, what you should be shooting on an open three, he's shooting, like, 6% less than average. Um, and Lance is, like, 9% less than average. So both of them are really bad. And if we talk about, oh, they're with LeBron, they'll play better, they'll get more open shots— these are two guys who already were getting very, very open threes and were really bad at them. So I don't expect either of these two players to suddenly go into this offense and be knocking down shots well. Um, if we look at the rest of the roster, Lonzo obviously had some shooting issues. He was, for most of the season, he, he started off really poorly and then just constantly straight line up. If you look at like a, a rolling average, he was getting better and better and better from three. And for a good chunk of the, the season, he was shooting above average. And I think from like December on, he was shooting like 37% from three. So hmm. his shot is, it's not broken. It, it, it's very real. He slumps at the end of the year, but him being able to shoot well is a very real possibility. Um, the rest of the guys, like Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Casey, Brandon Ingram and KCP were all taking pretty difficult shots. And despite that, we're shooting better than average considering the types of shots they were getting um so put them alongside lebron they should get more open shots and shoot better so i expect those three guys to get better uh kuzma ingram kcp i expect lonzo to get better just from getting more reps in and getting easier shots uh but i don't see lance or rondo really fitting with that um and that's a little concerning and from just a deploying your offense standpoint this team will not be like the Cavs. and you kind of touched on this these aren't the same kinds of guys the Cavs had a lot of shooters, and I would call them siloed players, where they have one skill, they're good at it, and that's what they do. Right. But if J.R. Smith is like attacking closeouts, 
and trying to make plays, nobody's like, oh, yeah, J.R. Smith. Everybody's like, oh, crap, like what's going on? Um, Because that's not what he's supposed to do. Yeah, Channing Frye is not supposed to be attacking guys off the dribble. It's very much uh, LeBron is a playmaker. Kevin Love can make plays. Uh, when he was there, Isaiah Thomas, even though he was bad, was one of those guys in that kind of role. Kyrie, when he was there, was in that role. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is just you catch and you shoot, and that's it, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and this is a very different team because the Lakers have guys who are more dynamic than that. And again, they're young. They're still getting better. They're not great right now. But when you look at the types of players they are, it's much more than catch and shoot. Uh, so I, th- I don't see any issue with the roster they've put together from designing an offense Um, I've done work with that with college AAU high school teams designing their offenses. I put together 20 of the 30 playbooks for 2K. This is a group of people you can make a good NBA offense with. That's not a problem. It'll be different from Cleveland, but there's more than one way to win with LeBron James, and we're going to see that this year. Right, and especially with, with, you know, uh, again, this is assuming, you know, they, they all buy in, which I think they will. I think these are all players who are, you, like you said earlier, they're arrogant, they're competitive. Um, so I think they are the types that will buy in to say, you know, I'm not surprised if this team walks into in, into training camp thinking they can win the championship. You know, like that's how confident these kind of players are. So I think they will buy in, so that's not an issue. So the thing that um, that stands out to me is you're right, that it's just the playmaking and the more um, – and just having more dynamic players. I think I think with, with so much – I think people are underestimating just how much IQ is on the floor at all times, right? Like pretty much all of those guys, um, you know, uh, KCP is is high IQ defensively, um, you know, and pretty good offensively. He's got a good feel for the game. He he really does. You know, he'll take he'll take some shots. You know, trust me. After the years of watching him in Detroit, sometimes he'll take some rush shots. But for the most part, he kind of attacks. He kind of feels out the game and has a good feel for when to attack. Um, you know, besides the one or two heat check threes he'll take every game. Um, but, you know, again, Rondo, very surgical, um, very, very high IQ. Lance Stevenson, very high IQ, understands how to attack and understands how to, how, uh, when to attack and when to attack and when to, and when to give the ball up. And so I think, I think this is going to come together better than people think, right? It might. Uh, while both of those guys you mentioned, Lance and Rondo are high IQ, and I, I think they will. Hopefully, some of that rubs off on the other Lakers, makes them better. Hopefully, they're challenged at practice, and that makes them better. And hopefully, both of these guys are able to use that IQ in games. Neither of them right now are talented basketball players, and they neither of them have been for a couple years. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the concern with me. Even though you put them in a better offense with LeBron James, they'll be getting more open shots. Both of the like, how are they going to get better? It, what's the way where all of a sudden, oh, Rajon Rondo is going to start playing better defense than the below average defense he's played for the past five years? How is Lance Stevenson going to not be a 20% three-point shooter and then a 25 and then a 17 and then a 28% three-point shooter? It's, I'm concerned about those two just from the standpoint of I'm not sure where the optimization and maximization comes from. I think they can make the young guys better, and it'll be a good learning experience for them. But I don't think we're going to see Rondo and Stevenson and be like, oh, this is just like the old days. This is the Lance that really went to war with LeBron years ago on the Pacers teams that really pushed him. 
Um, even though they did this year, but that's a different story. That was a different lance. Um, it's not going to be Rajon Rondo from Boston. These are they're different guys. They're shells of themselves. Well, so, even if Rondo is 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 Rondo from the Pelicans last playoff, he was he was good in the playoffs. Uh, so maybe, maybe uh, he was definitely better in the playoffs. And if you look at the stats on Rondo for the full season, he wasn't a good player. Right. And yeah, if you I look at post boogie, he when when they changed the offense up, they went a lot faster. All of a sudden, all of the Rondo stats go way up. And if you look at the impact he had playing with his teammates, and you uh, we use some luck adjusted ratings that kind of cancel out some of the noise in free throw shooting and three point shooting. Hit him playing with just about every single player on the Pelicans roster after Boogie went down was a three or four or five or ten point boost uh, per hundred possessions when he was with them on the court. So everybody on the Pelicans roster was better when Rondo was on the court with them. So that's really encouraging. Full year, it doesn't look great. After Boogie went down, it looks really good. And that speed, that pace is what the Lakers will be looking to play. So that you think, may... You think they will? Because that's traditionally... Not, I, I wouldn't say LeBron plays a slower pace. I, I would say he play, plays a slower pace, but he definitely doesn't play the slowest. But, um, but yeah, since Miami, LeBron doesn't really pay, play an incredibly fast pace. So do you think this Lakers team will play fast? So, and think about the teams LeBron's been on without right. a bunch of playmakers. This Laker team, they were the fa- second fastest team in the league last year. They got into tra- transition second most. LeBron, while being on a team that didn't get into transition often at all, was still the, he still scored the second most points individually in transition in the league. So he will take advantage of it. And it's just a matter of, I, I think he'll fit in really well. Because all of these Laker players, Ingram, Kuzma, Lonzo, all of these guys, they get a rebound, they're going. And if you run out there, Lonzo's going to find you like he's Peyton Manning throwing like 40 yards down the field. Um, if you have a foot of separation, he's going to find you. So that gets these guys leaking out. It gets them running. And so many times the Lakers will get just get easy baskets from long outlet passes. And that's something that LeBron has always had a great relationship with like Kevin Love at doing. And mm-hmm. I see that carrying over to LA. Now, while I think the Lakers will continue to play fast, I think we might see possessions where it's like three young Lakers pushing the ball and LeBron's kind of like jogging up the court in the back. Um, and if it doesn't work out, they'll slow it down. They'll run their sets. Um, I don't know. It, it's a good question. I think there will be some clashing. Uh, but ultimately, I think this roster is best positioned to play fast, and they have the guys to do it, and they'll look to do it, and then if it's not there, they'll just pull it out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. As as it's sort of a it's sort of a a, a first a, a first base attack, and then it kind of then it kind of peels back if if it needs to. Yeah, um, you you probe is what you. Yeah, do. Exactly. if it's there, you take it. If it's not there, you just wait, and yeah. you hope that they don't attack one-on-three or two-on-four and take stupid shots yeah, like they did that, last year. That's a, that's a great point you bring up is the outlet passing um, off the rebound, which is a very underrated skill. Um, and it's something that Kevin Love, like you said, in Cleveland did exceptionally well and has done exceptionally well his whole career. Lonzo is also good um, good at that as well. And LeBron can be, except he's usually, you know, we've seen him the last four years, he's the guy pushing the ball in the break and <laughs> as opposed to looking for the outlet. But now that he's got some ball handlers, you're right, that could that could play very well into um, into the hands of the Lakers. Um, so one of the one of the last things I want to get into with the with the Lakers is um, 
we talked about the young guys, um, you know, Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma. Um, who do you really see as the one that benefits the most from, from LeBron? That is a pretty good question. I, huh. I don't know. I, I'm going to say Lonzo, actually. Lonzo Ball is a player who, at UCLA, was much more of an off-ball player than an on-ball player. He, if you look at the, the play types that he ran, so like spotting up, uh, it, I'll just list off play types. Like, so like ISO, post-ups, um, pick and roll, being the roll man in the pick and roll, spotting up, transition, all that stuff. If you look at those and compare it to each NBA position, he was a pretty close match to a shooting guard, not a point guard. Um, and he was very much used cutting. He had like 28 alley-oop dunks that he finished in like 30 games or something like that um he was a very good cutter he's one of the best instinctual cutters i've seen and i've, I've scouted for a couple years at the college level and he just does such a good job at knowing when and how to make that back cut and all of last season nobody was finding him he was it was maybe like a 20 25 success rate where he's wide open but, like, Corey Brewer's not making that pass. Josh Hart's not making that pass. KCP's not making that pass. LeBron's going to make that pass. And the other way around, same thing. LeBron's a great cutter. Lonzo's going to be able to find him. And so I think that works together really well. I think being able to put Lonzo off ball, have him run less pick and roll, have Ingram run less pick and roll because neither of them were great at it, and let them spot up, let them run off of screens, let them be secondary creators will be really great for them. Um because neither of them was a great pick-and-roll player. Ingram was the worst pick-and-roll passer in the entire league last year, um, if you look at the data. So allowing him to play like a wing instead of a guard, which the Lakers deployed him like for some reason, will be, I think, a really big bump in Ingram's efficiency. But I just love the way that Lonzo and LeBron will be able to play off each other with the cutting and the passing and transition and allowing, to, allowing Lonzo to play off-ball, I think, will be really great. Now, the, that's very interesting. I agree with everything you said except for one one thing I kind of want to push back on. Um, okay. And that is the LeBron cutting because we've seen this last year with LeBron is that he has said he's, uh, he's a player where, you know, he had to carry so much of Cleveland's offense that he didn't – when he passed the ball, man, he was resting. Like, that was it. He was done for the play when he passed the ball off. He didn't move. He didn't – do anything we saw it all throughout even the uh, especially the regular season but we've seen it in the playoffs as well so I don't know well I agree with you in theory LeBron can be that guy of course because he's freakishly athletic still um he can he can absolutely and he has great instinct and, and reading ability but I don't see him being I don't see him really doing that much just because of the point in where he's at and how aware he is of conserving energy am I wrong there no, I think that's an, a really good cons- – like, I, I think that's a very real concern. And we very may, very well may see him walking around a lot on offense and defense the way that he did this year. Um, and it's good for him to get rest and be able to carry that much of an offensive workload. The way this situation would be different from last year is L.A. doesn't have those siloed players that I was talking about, and they have guys who can take some of the burden – and run the offense, and the entire offense is and give it to LeBron, everybody stand around, and let him make something happen and pass it out and shoot. It can right. be let other guys run actions and run plays and 
LeBron will certainly obviously have the ball in his hands a lot, but the Lakers can somewhat afford to lessen that burden at times. And then the other thing I would say is just like the Lakers this year, having Lonzo and knowing he's going to find you in transition on those outlet passes if you're open encourages guys to run. And they know, hey, if I'm going to be open, I'm going to get it. Because if you're running hard every game and you know that your point guard is not going to find you, it's very like it's not as encouraging and you're not going to run as hard. So last year we saw because Lonzo was there and because guys knew he would find them, they ran a lot harder and they leaked out harder and they got those transition opportunities. Cutting is similar in that they're, they know if they cut hard and they beat their guy, Lonzo's going get, to get them the ball. So LeBron knowing that for the first time in a while, he has two great passers with him between Rondo and Lonzo Ball that can find him if he does make those cuts. He made 137 cuts last year. He shot almost 85% at the rim on those shots. He went, he went 95 for 114, 96th percentile in the league. So he was very efficient at it. He did it fourth most of any half-court play type. Uh, it was iso, pick and roll, post up, and cut were what he did most. Um, he did about one and a half per game. And I think that can stay at that level, maybe even get up to 1.75 or two cuts per game. And if you can cut twice a game just because your guy falls asleep and be scoring in like 80% on those shots, that's great. And that's easy money. So, yeah, yeah but, but, but I, I understand your concern and it very, very well may play out that way. But I have hope, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because even if you if if you make a guy pay twice a game or or twice every um every or tw- two or three times every every two games, then um it just it it creates a threat, right? It's like the same thing. It's the same thing with shooting, right? Like as long as you're slightly above league average, all of a sudden they have to consider closing out. And then once that's you give the defense just one more thing, one more uh one more option that they have to account for. That just makes things tougher on the defense. So I, yep. I agree with you. I Absolutely, agree with you, you can't like deny him the ball because if you do, he's big enough to do a swim move over you. Right. Essentially, like box you out as he's running, and then catch the lob and dunk it and make a huge highlight play. So exactly. the, the, these things play off of each other, but it's all predicated upon knowing that if that happens and if he gets the cut, he's going to get the ball, which isn't something we could say last year with. J.R. Smith passing to him or Rodney Hood passing to him or even Isaiah Thomas passing to him. With Lonzo and Rondo, it should happen. So that it should help. But right now, everything's just theory. We have to see how it plays out. Yeah, we do. All right, so uh, one, one, two more things I want to get to really quickly before we get out of here. So um, the defensive side of the ball, we talked a lot about the offensive side, but the defensive side of the ball, how do you think this team works? Uh, so it all kind of depends on what LeBron wants to do. For his entire career, he's been a small forward defensively. Um, offensively, like obviously he has all the versatility in the world. But on defense, he has been very clear in Cleveland about not wanting to play the four. Um, apparently, and, and I've been at games all day today. I just ate and got back to the hotel. I'm at the, the California Summer League or whatever it's called. Um, but people were telling me that today or yesterday it was reported that LeBron was willing to play at the four defensively. And if that's the case, it changes what the lineups look like a little bit. Um, but right now, the way the, the roster's constructed, you're probably starting Lonzo Ball, who is a very, very good defensive player. And I think this is something that most fans don't understand. They 
see De'Aaron Fox scored a bunch of points when they played UCLA in college and think Lonzo is a bad defender. I can get into that game and I could talk for 10 minutes about how it was on the coaches and the big men of UCLA and Lonzo did his job and blah, blah, blah. He's a good defender. That changed the narrative on him and it's wrong. And if you watch Laker games, you see this guy lights out, locking people up. Um, it's not the noisiest of defense. It's not all highlight plays, but he's always in the right position. He's so smart from an IQ standpoint that you just, he just doesn't give you anything easy. He's not the most athletic guy at the point of attack, and he's not getting the most steals at the point of attack, but he's amazing off ball, and he's good enough on ball that his overall defensive impact is tremendous. If you look at any of the impact stats, whether it's his real plus minus, his player impact plus minus, his regularized adjusted plus minus, my defensive points over expectation, everything has him as a really good defender. Um, my overall uh, defensive grade for him in a system, a competency-based system I'm putting together, has him in the 98th percentile in the league. So he's a very good defender. He'll be there. KCP will be starting, most likely. He is actually, in reality, a below-average defender. Um, he's a guy that will jump for steals and take gambles a lot, and it gets them burned a lot, but that's not something you notice really watching live. So a lot of fans don't notice. They'll, they'll see KCP get steals, but they don't really quite notice when he goes for steals and then doesn't get them, and then the team gives up points because of it. Um, he's a little bit below average, but he's close to average, so that's okay. Brandon Ingram will probably be starting at the three um, if LeBron will play four, and Ingram's a good defender. He's versatile. He's a long guy. He's getting stronger. Um, he can play on the perimeter. He's a good perimeter defender. He can somewhat defend inside, although, although he's pretty skinny. Um, if he can put on weight, this guy can be a defensive monster. Um, so that's encouraging. Then you have LeBron at the four, who in reality hasn't been a good defender in a couple of years. Uh, he grades out <laughs> in the first percentile in perimeter Oof. defense, meaning that 99% of the league has been better than him. Uh, and a lot of it is off ball. When he's on ball, he's fine. He's a little bit below average, but he's fine. When he's off mm -hmm. ball, this is a guy like we talked about earlier. He's walking around. He's kind of falling asleep. He's resting. And you understand it. It makes sense. He's got such a burden on him. But in reality, the impact of it is it really hurts your team defensively. It uh, does, yeah. It, it's still justifiable based on the impact he has on offense. Um, it's kind of like Isaiah Thomas. His defense is so bad, but he was playing at such a high level offensively that it's worth it. But the mm -hmm. second he dropped off last year and wasn't good, it was just a train wreck. LeBron yeah, he goes LeBron, from a star to a role to to a bench player. Exactly, exactly, and that's not going to happen with LeBron. LeBron will be fine on offense, but his defense right. is that bad where he needs to be a superstar for it to be like such a positive impact. Um, right. But it's fine. He's not a great defender. He'll still make highlight plays. He'll still make weak side blocks. Um, if he has to, he can kind of lock in and at the end of a game and play good defense, but. Overall, like possession by possession, he's not a plus defensively. And that's okay. Um, and then at the five right now, I'm thinking the Lakers will sign Brooke Lopez back to a deal. They have $5 yeah. million to spend. If they don't, we're looking at JaVale McGee, who's about an average defender, is a little bit below average on the perimeter. We're looking another at another Chase's stats kind of guy. He's he's a he's a very white sider, like a KCP version of a center, right, where he chases the steal or the block. Yep, yeah, so I, I agree with that, um, and he'll get burned. He's not a great rim protector. Uh, he's not a great perimeter defender. He's not a great interior defender, but he's he's about average. Um, and then Ivica Zubats is another option who is kind of a less mobile guy. Uh, he's more of a 
old school big man who's going to like post up on you. So on defense at times, it was just like watching him on ice skates, try to defend guards. So I, I don't know. He's lost a lot of weight since last year. So I'm optimistic, but I'm not sure what he'll look like defensively. And then the other option is Mo Wagner out of Michigan, who's a rookie. And Wagner is not as strong as he needs to be. We're seeing, I, I watched three games of him in this past week uh, at the California Summer Classic, and he's just getting bullied inside by bigger guys. So that will be a problem. Um, his perimeter defense is somewhat of a question mark because at Michigan, they ran a lot of show and recover where he'd kind of like heart, he, he'd hedge and stay with the guy in the pick and roll until the guard recovered and then he'd run back to his guy. So we didn't really have to see him switch at all. So we're not sure how well he'll do in the Lakers switching scheme. Um, the Lakers switched third most of any NBA team last year. So it's probably going to be expected of him that he can stay with guards. And if he can, he's going to play a lot because he's very fluid, great shooter on offense. If he can't stay with guards, it's tough to see where you put him because he's not strong enough to play against real fives in the post. Uh, so that there's some upside there, but there's also a chance that he's not playing much because he's not great defensively. So we might be looking at uh, Lonzo, who's good, KCP, who's eh, uh, Ingram, who's good, LeBron, who's resting, and JaVale McGee, who's all right. So I, I don't know. It, it's middle not. Of the pack. It's, it's the middle of the pack defense. Rondo's not a good defender anymore. Lance Stevenson hasn't been good in years. Um, both of those guys kind of carry a reputation of being better. So does KCP. In reality, it's not the case. So I believe in KCP defensively. I I know. I know. He, I, <laughs> I know his flaws. You guys know by now. Um, yeah, I I live <laughs> I live through it. But you know, I seen him. I seen him play magnificent defense on Kyrie Irving in the playoffs. Like, I I I think this guy is a um a when called upon when in a disciplined system, uh when in a situation where he has to be disciplined. I think he's I think he's good. I think last year was. I think a lot of pl- what played into it was con- it was essentially another contract year for him, so he was trying to get the steals and the, you know, kind of inflate inflate his numbers. But I've I've seen when this guy is locked in, I've seen him as one of the best in the league. Never forget when the Pistons beat the Warriors like two years ago. Steph Curry was having dinner with Anthony Tolliver after the game, and he said KCP is the best person who's ever defended me in my life. Like I did I, not I, know I, that. I, I believe in him. Yeah, I that believe- is interesting. Yeah, I, I'll die on the KCP train. I still wanted the Pistons to pay him the 20-whatever million, dude. I love KCP. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, <laughs> he was injured two years ago and had really bad data. Yeah. So that was yeah, like the one outlier year. Because before then, he had been a good defender. Then he was mm-hmm. injured. His data was really bad. And then last year, it was about average. And I think he is pretty good on ball. It's the off-ball gambling that has yeah. high upside but also can cost you and right. defense is something where it's really tough to like of all the things and all the people with their eye tests defense is probably the hardest thing to evaluate because one people don't know what they're looking for two when you watch a game live you don't notice most of the defense that's happening whether it's good or it's bad if they do a really poor job but the offense doesn't capitalize on it you just don't notice it at all um right and it's it's a really hard thing for people to look at so that's why a lot of times it won't match up with in reality what's happening and what I'm seeing from a scout standpoint and with the data is agreeing with me. But I don't know. Yeah. I think this Laker defense is probably middle of the line. I don't see the additions they made as being like, Oh man, lots of tough, great defenders. That's, that's not true. That's 
that was maybe true like five years ago, but not anymore. Um, yeah. So I don't know. They'll be okay. They won't be awful. They will probably continue to switch a lot. And I've been putting together a big old like 50-page Google Doc where I kind of go through different key topics for Laker fans this offseason. So I talk about like playoff Rondo and playoff Lance and how like Rajon Rondo does get better in the playoffs, but in reality he's not that great. So it, it's from going like bad to okay. Um, and I go through right. all the different signings and essentially my input on everything. Um, and I completely lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what I was talking about. You're all good, man. You're all good. You were just talking about <laughs> you were just talking about all the all the information that you put on your Twitter. So again, go follow this guy, Cranjus McBasketball, on Twitter. Um, great name. Came from the the classic show and practical jokers. Love that. Um, but you know, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you on I'm with you on all of this. I think they're a middle of the pack defensive team with potential to be good in in late game possessions. Um, so, so I, I think they could be a good crunch time defense, but I think overall they have a lot of players who are going to be, um, you know, just kind of average and then a few that will be above. So put, putting them around middle of the pact, um, defensively sounds right to me, but all right. So before we get out of here, um, a few quick things. So one Kawhi Leonard gut feeling is, is, is he on the Lakers? Is he in Philly? Cause I know there's a lot of, you know, talk right now about Philly since the Lakers are kind of playing it. You know, the cool route saying, hey, we'll get him in a year. But um, there's a lot of rumors around that Kawhi now is even considering the Clippers because he doesn't want to play with LeBron. And and uh, maybe he'll go to Philly for a year. What do you, um, Or what, what do you see as a scenario with Kawhi right now? I don't think he goes to the Clippers from a trade this year just because they don't have an attractive trade package to At give all, yeah. the Spurs. Yeah, it just it won't happen. Um, he may eventually sign there. I don't know about that. Um, it's hard to turn down. Like the one thing that's been clear, there have been so many conflicting reports, but the one thing that's been clear is he wants to be in Los Angeles on one of the two teams. Um, and like literally two or three different things have come out today. One saying he definitely won't go to the Clippers. Another one saying the Clippers are his top option. And so much is conflicting. And the reports are all over the place. But LA is the preferred destination for him. The Clippers won't trade for him because they probably can't. Uh, the Sixers are a team that could trade for him. Boston could trade for him. How I see this play out is Boston doesn't need to trade for him. They have Kyrie coming back from injury. They have Gordon Hayward coming back from injury. They, they're, they're, they're ready to roll, man. They, LeBron just left the East. It's theirs. And yeah, they should be able to put up some sort of a fight against the Warriors in the finals if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Because they're full strength. That's a really, really great team. And they don't need anything. Yeah. So they won't overpay for him especially because, one, he's a rental, possibly. Um, although, if anywhere, I feel like Brad Stevens and that roster might be able to get him to stay. But it, anyway, one, he's a rental. Two, they don't know what his health is like. Same thing with the Lakers. They don't know what his health is like. Right. Uh, it, the Sixers, they're in a unique situation because their doctors are the ones that have been working, or one, one of their physicians is the one that has been working with Kawhi during his rehab. And the Sixers are in a position where they actually know more about Kawhi's health than the Spurs do, um, because the Spurs have completely handed off the rehab of Kawhi to Kawhi's people, and they haven't been working with Spurs doctors. So that's a really interesting—I I honestly don't even know how much 
of it is like legal from like a HIPAA standpoint, but the Sixers should know how Kawhi is doing. The question for them is, do they put together a big package to trade for him and him be a rental and completely screw them over? I can see them being conservative. At the same time, I can see them being aggressive and trying to take the East because it's it's really like them in Boston and Milwaukee. So if they want to shoot their shot, they can go after him and make a really, really great run and put up a huge fight against the Celtics. Um, but at the same time, I can see them being conservative. Uh, right. The Lakers, I think, are a big player. Um, they're in a position where they think they have all the leverage. They are going to play this out. Every day that Kawhi is still on the Spurs is lowering his value. Um, because the sh- the rental time is shorter for everybody else, and LA thinks that they'll be able to sign him next off season. This year, they made sure the signings they did were one year deals, so they can sign him next off season. So they have all the leverage. They're willing to be patient. If the Spurs are asking for like Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, or just one of them, the Lakers can just wait and wait and wait until it's the point where they're at the trade deadline. And the Lakers can play pay about like half the price that they pay now because. To them, he's he's not a rental, but to everyone else, he's like a two month rental at that point. Um, so, what are you really willing, what are you really willing to pay for something like that? So, I don't know. The, the Lakers are going to be patient. I think he ends up in either Los Angeles or Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Um, I also see a very realistic scenario where the Spurs just take the full gamble and try to keep him, try to patch things up because um, you know all throughout this whole summer. All the reports have always been is that the Spurs, they're listening to trade offers, but they they really still just want to keep him. Like they're not a hundred percent set on we have to trade him. There's still that little bit of hope in them that wants to, that wants to keep them. So I think that's something very interesting to look out for. So assuming Kawhi doesn't um, come to to the Lakers and no massive changes happen. Um, who do you kind of expect, as you talked about Brooke Lopez, but who are some guys you kind of expect the Lakers to use to fill out the rest of the roster? Who would you like to see, ideally? So, before they had signed Rondo, I would have said Shabazz Napier or Tyreek Evans yeah. as guys. Um, yep, and I've I tweeted agree. about both of them. They're both guys who are good perimeter defenders. They can both shoot really well. Uh, they're both guys who, if we're looking at that shot difficulty metric, they were taking hard shots and making hard shots. And with easier shots, they should be even better than they were this year. Um, So I liked both of those. I believe Evans is signing with Indiana. I don't know if it happened already or if it's... Yeah, it is. One year, 12 million. Okay, so that's off the table. Shabazz is still out there, and I think he can be had cheap. Um, And honestly, he's better than Rajon Rondo. Uh, I don't think they'll sign him because they already kind of figured that out with the rotation. Um, Where I see the Lakers going is to fill the center position. So... Brooke Lopez is probably at the top of their list. Um, there aren't a ton of other great options available. I mean, they can't afford Clint Capella. Uh, who else is there at the center position? Um, yeah, the center position is very, is very thin. Um, it, it's really, uh, I believe Dwayne Dedman signed. That's what I like. I like Kyle Quinn, but I, I have a feeling he's still going to find a way to, to Golden State on the minimum or Boston on the minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere somewhere around there but he would be a great get I, I I'm a big fan of Kyle Quinn's game um so so yeah I I see those two um Channing yeah, Fry is a guy I think who's he's still available but I, right. I'm going through the I'm going through the list right now and it, like I'm, I'm I'm on like hoops hype right now they have guys ranked 
Lopez for them was ranked sixth, and then I think that uh, Kylo Quinn's eight, and the next available guy is like seventeen or eighteen or nineteen. No, not yeah, nineteen at Channing Fry. Um, so I, I haven't run the numbers on the best available free agents, but I think probably Lopez and, and O'Quinn and Fry are the the top three for me. Um, yeah. So I, I think they'll get one of those guys. My Ordering would probably be Lopez, then Fry, since they've they had Fry on the roster last year, and, and same thing with Lopez. So I, I think they go after those guys. Um, they have a lot of the rest of the roster filled out. So I don't know. I, I still have hopes for an Apier. Don't think it happens. Um, mm-hmm. But probably just Brooke Lopez is my guess for like $5 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah, I agree. All right, Tim. Well, I will let you get back to your California. What is it? California Summer League? Is that what we're calling it? California Summer Classic. California um, summer classic. Yeah, yeah. How, how's that league. going? It, it's actually it's fun. Um, it's not like actual summer league, uh, where all thirty teams are there and it's in Vegas, so there's tons of stuff to do and everybody's there. I was under the impression that there'd be Laker people here. I flew across <laughs> the country and I am the only Laker person here, and it's all Kings fans and it's a very hostile environment. Um, but it's been cool to see the games. The, so the Lakers are here, the Kings are here, the Warriors are here, and the Heat are here. So I've seen. The Lakers play each of those teams. I've seen each of those teams play each other. Uh, there was a like a random Lil John concert Tuesday night after the games were <laughs> over, which was bonkers. Um, and That's it was actually incredible. really lit. Okay, it was interesting because it was it was pretty cool that they did it, but it wasn't a crowd of people that was there to see Lil John. It was like people in suits and like people with their children and like kids who were there to watch <laughs> basketball. And then as they were walking out the main exit. Lil John's out there just like, yeah, and like, <laughs> like yelling at people to start like turning up. Um, and like, hey, you got a drink, put it in the air. And like, they're like eight year olds there. It was, it was weird. <laughs> um, but as the night went along, those kind of, those people kind of filtered out and it got nice. Um, and I got a high five from Lil John at the end. So it was fun. But, oh, man, that's awesome, man. Shout out to Lil John. Um, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get him on the hip hop podcast one day, man. That's a goal of mine. You do. He's really cool. And and during the games that day, every time somebody hit a three, they would play the yeah clip from him. And then, really? like the place was kind of dead because the Kings had played already. But yeah. they would show him on like the big screen, and the place would go nuts. And every time they showed him <laughs> on the big screen, big screen, he was like taking shots, um, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. Because they show yeah. up like three times, and every time he sees himself, he's like, oh, got to drink something. Um, <laughs> so he's just like downing drinks, uh, which, I don't know, it was hilarious. It was great. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of fun over here. Um, I hadn't been to Sacramento before, but it's it's a cool environment, uh, and it's been neat to watch the games. If anybody's thinking about going to the Vegas Summer League, I'd highly recommend it. Lots of people there. You're walking around. They've got games constantly on, and then there's tons of cool people just walking around. Like, random basketball player in line behind you to get ice cream or, like, you're walking past Zach Lowe or David Aldridge or like Sasha Mejri's like on the phone making a trade or something like that. That literally happened last year. Um, people yeah, yeah, walked yeah, um, on the phone right before an uh, right before a transaction happened, and then they go to sit down with us after, and they're like, "Hey, I just I just watched that." Like they get the notification, <laughs> they're like, "Oh wow, I literally watched this happen live." Um, so it's really <laughs> That's cool. Crazy. I recommend it. I went last year, can't go this year, but. Yeah, to check that out, and, and this California Summer League Classic, or whatever it's called, it's the first year they've done it, but it's been pretty fun so far. Yeah, man. Uh, I was going to ask for I was gonna ask for a good Vegas Summer League story, but you, you gave one to me. That's incredible. Um, you know, I, I got to get out to Vegas one of these years for Summer League. Um, definitely looking forward to it. 
But um, thank you, Tim. I'll let you get back to doing what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Um, again, a big fan of of your content. Uh, so why don't you why don't you go ahead and plug everything you do? Because I know I, I tried to plug it in the beginning, but I'm sure you could plug it a little a little bit better. So I'll let you do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you gave it a good attempt. I, I've got a lot going on. Um, so I you can find some of my work at Form Blue and Gold, Nylon Calculus. Um, I won't be writing for either of those anymore, I don't think, uh, because I'm starting my own website that will be launching in a couple weeks, um, and we'll be covering all 30 NBA teams. Uh, there will be a lot of cool data and interactive tools available, some premium stuff. Don't worry, the content will be free, but there will be other things that you can look to purchase um, that may be in your own monetary interest uh, that we've been working on. Uh, and I, I, we've got all kinds of cool data put together. I've been working on a competency model, so it's like a talent model. Um, and we have every single player in the league graded in all these different important categories. And it's not a bunch of random stuff. It's We went to scouts and said, hey, what are the major things you look for in players? And then figured out a way to use the best stats available to evaluate players on each of them and have like grades and really easy to digest information. So you can say, hey, I don't know. Julius Randle is like a D perimeter defender, but a B rebounder or whatever. Um, so lots of cool stuff like that. Uh, keep an, out, an eye out for it. It'll be up in a couple weeks still getting the technical side figured out. But I have that. Uh, I host a podcast called Taking Charge with Grand Smith Basketball. We are on a little bit of a hiatus because uh, I've been on vacation the whole summer and will be for the next month. But uh, if you're a Laker fan, it's a great place to go for Lots of like X's and O's scheme, play calling, and uh, data input on the game and, and the Lakers. And hopefully you like what you heard today. So you can check me out at those places. Um, you can find me on Twitter at T1M underscore NBA. So it's Tim with a one underscore NBA. Uh, Cranjus McBasketball. And I'm always out there tweeting about stuff and lighting people on fire who don't like stats. So it's, it's a good time. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's a good time. Like I said, one of the best, uh, one of the best statistic follows, one of the best NBA follows, honestly, in general on on Twitter. So, um, Tim, keep up the good work, man. I appreciate having you on the podcast, and uh, you know we'll be, we'll we'll have to get back together again to talk some to talk some hoops soon. Yeah, man, absolutely. Anytime. It's it's been good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. And uh, and still that two K that that legendary two K match one day. <laughs> one day, maybe we'll live stream it too. <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go, there you go. Um, all right, so thank, thank you, Tim, for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.